Hi, my name is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast of the New Testament. I'll be using as the text the King James Version, along with the Joseph Smith Translation. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll also be using quotes from general authorities of the Church, the Apostles and Prophets, and BYU professors and others, and uh, every word out of the Scriptures themselves. So if you're ready for a really detailed analysis of the New Testament, you've come to the right place. Welcome. Hello there. Welcome back. This will be for Acts chapter 21. Paul journeys to Jerusalem. He is persecuted, arrested, and bound. Verse 1, And it came to pass that after we, this is including Luke, who is the author of Acts, were gotten from them, and had launched, we came with a straight course unto Cus, and the day following unto Rhodes, and from thence unto Patara. And finding a ship sailing over unto Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. Now when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand and sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unlade her burden. And many disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. And when he had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way, and they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed." And when, they, and when we had taken our leave one of another, we took ship, and they returned home again. And when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to, to Ptolemaeus and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. And the next day we, were, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, uh, that's a patriarch, which was of the seven, and abode with him. Philip was one of the stalwart leaders of the ancient church. He was set apart as one of the seven men entrusted with administrative and welfare duties. Later, he performed miracles as a powerful missionary. Finally, we are told that he served as an evangelist or patriarch. Tradition indicates that he was martyred by hanging in Phrygia. I don't know how you say that word. Joseph Smith said, An evangelist is a patriarch, even the oldest man of the blood of Joseph or of the seed of Abraham. Wherever the church of Christ is established in the earth, there should be a patriarch for the benefit of the posterity of the saints. Verse 9, And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus." We have covenanted to stand as witnesses of God at all times and in all places and in all things. If you have not chosen the kingdom of God, it will not it will make it will make in the end no difference what you have chosen instead. That was by Elder Maxwell. Verse fourteen and when he, and when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying the will of the Lord be done. The meaning of the warning may have been that he should not go unless he was prepared to face the promised trials. That was by Elder McConkie. After those days, we took up our carriages, our baggage, and went up to Jerusalem. Out of, this, out of his journey to Jerusalem came the arrest, which enabled him, while in Roman custody, to testify before the Jews of Jerusalem, before Festus, and then Agrippa on the island of Melita, or Malta, and in Rome itself. To take the witness of Christ to kings and rulers, it oftentimes seems to require the arrest and trial of the Lord's servants. Surely Paul's trip to, Jer- to Jerusalem tested his mettle and ennobled his soul, and because of it he gained opportunities to stand in defense of truth and righteousness, which otherwise would have been denied him. That was by Elder McConkie. 
Verse 16, Then there went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea, and brought with them one Nason of Cyprus, and an old disciple with whom we should lodge. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the day following, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. This is James, the Lord's brother. Uh, He was the presiding authority, most likely a member of the First Presidency. In Jerusalem at the time, likely Peter and John were on missions preaching the gospel. James, the son of Zebedee, had already been martyred. The context of events in Acts indicates that James, the Lord's brother, took his spot in the First Presidency of the early church. He apparently played a prominent role in the church at Jerusalem, although the record does not give us many details. All ancient ecclesiastical writers agree on this fact that James, the Lord's brother, was the first bishop of Jerusalem. Verse 19, And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. This is Paul's missionary report, much like our missionaries do in reporting to the high council. Verse 20, And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. There is no question that Peter and the brethren knew that the law of Moses was fulfilled by Christ. The doctrinal question was settled. The law was not any longer a requirement for salvation now that Jesus had made the atonement. Missionary work among the Gentile nations could go forth directly and without impediment, but there remained a conflict between culture and doctrine. The brethren were clear on the matter, but the long-standing culture and tradition persisted among many Jewish members of the church even after the doctrinal question had been settled. There is generally a lag between revelation and actual practice. Latter-day scripture leaves no doubt that the law of Moses was fulfilled in Christ, yet we see that the moderate decision of the council allowed it to linger among Jewish Christians. The account of the Jerusalem council in the book of Acts gives our present generation an informative model as to how both church members and non-members react when revelation confronts tradition and long-standing custom. Only prophets could correctly handle the situation then. Only living prophets can do so now. That was by Robert Matthews. Verse 21, And they are informed of thee that thou, that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. What is it, therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. Paul's teaching of the Gentiles that they no longer needed to obey the law of Moses was stirring up the Christian Jews in Jerusalem to the point that the brethren asked Paul to participate in a Mosaic ritual to show the Christian Jews that the church could tolerate such practices. Verse 23, Do therefore this that we say to thee, we have four men which have a vow on them. This is a Nazarene or Nazarite vow. Take them and purify thyself with them and be at charges with them that they may shave their heads, and all may know that those things whereof they they were informed concerning thee are nothing, but that thou thyself also walkest orderly and keepest the law. So they're saying, go ahead and humor these people by keeping this this ritual of the law of Moses so that they may know that that you do it also. Verse 25, as touching the Gentiles which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. That was according to the letter that they received from the first presidency in a previous chapter. Then Paul took the men and the next day purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. 
This was most likely uncomfortable for Paul to perform this Mosaic Law ritual. It was done to accommodate the Jewish Christians. This is an extremely difficult passage to explain in such a way as to do credit to Paul or to James the Lord's brother, or to the leading brethren in the church, or to the Jewish segment of the church established in Jerusalem. They all knew that the Law of Moses had been fulfilled, and yet to humor the Jewish Christians, particularly church members who still practice false rites and, and cling to false ordinances, who are giving lip service to Christ while following the Mosaic performances which Christ abolished, who are Christian in name but largely Jewish in act, who had who have had the laying on of hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost, but have never attained the spiritual maturity to gain the full companionship of that member of the Godhead. To humor these weak members of the church, Paul is asked officially, as a matter of church discipline, to pretend that he is a Jew who keeps the law of Moses. Why? What justification can there possibly be for these early saints to reject the spirit and practice of true religion and pretend to conform to the dead letter of a dead law, to a law which can lead nowhere except to spiritual death? The explanation lies in the semi-converted status of the Jewish saints in Jerusalem. As with all men, the Lord was giving gospel truths to them line upon line, precept upon precept. It was better to have them in the church, seeking the spirit, striving to keep the commandments and trying to keep them in the church or trying to, to work out their salvation than to leave them without the, fo without the fold until they gained a full knowledge of all things. Even Peter was not converted to the full until long after he was ordained an apostle, and so it is today. Conversion is a gradual process. There are many sectarian concepts and practices which individuals who are in the church must abandon before the gospel system becomes perfect. If there is a lesson for us in these events, it is that staunch and stable members of the church should be tolerant and charitable toward persons newly coming out of the darkness of the world into the light of the gospel. That was by Bruce R. McConkie. Verse 27. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law, and this place, and further brought Greeks also into the temple, and hath polluted this holy place. It was totally against Jewish law for Gentiles to be within the temple. And so Paul is doing that, and so they are all um, to them worthy of death. Verse 29, For they had seen before him in the city of city Trophimus in Ephesian, an Ephesian whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. It would have been a capital offense to allow a Gentile into the temple. And all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing and some another among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. And when this is the Antonia fortress that he's being brought to. And when he came upon the stairs, so it was that he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the people. For the multitude of the people followed after crying, saying, Away with him. And as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captains, May I speak unto thee, who, who said, Canst thou speak Greek? The events in Acts 21 leave one with a feeling of familiarity. We have Paul falsely accused of the Jews with some crying one thing and some another. We have Roman soldiers taking him captive, 
Though he has broken no Roman law, we have the Jewish multitudes clamoring for the punishment of a man of God saying away with him, and we have another Roman authority confused as to the cause of the Jewish uproar. History is famous for repeating itself. Less than 30 years prior, it was one Jesus who was falsely accused of teaching against the law and speaking against the temple. Back then, it was the master who was taken by Roman authority before angry and jealous Jewish multitudes. Again, it was the people who wanted blood, crying, let him be crucified. His blood be on us and on our children." Hence, we are reminded that although the, the names and dates might change, Satan's servants employ the same methods year after year. But there is one significant difference. The master, who could easily have talked his way out of any punishment, went before Pilate as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. But Paul is excited to have such a large crowd at his disposal. He did not squander the opportunity to testify of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God into salvation. We can only imagine how great the silence was when Paul raised his hand to speak to the people. Although we do not know the Judaism of his age too well, it is probable that at about six years of age, Saul was sent to an elementary school in a room connected with the Jewish synagogue. Here, with other Jewish boys of his age, he would be instructed in the reading of Scripture. This may have been in the Greek version known to us as the Septuagint because in later years he seems to have quoted extensively from it. It is difficult not to believe that he knew the scriptures in their original Hebrew and Aramaic languages, because Aramaic would be the vernacular of his tongue, or of his home, and, a wor- and, and for a would-be rabbi not to know Hebrew would be unthinkable. It should be kept in mind that although Aramaic may have been the vernacular of his Jewish home, Saul would also be exposed to Greek on the street. His writings display a good knowledge of it. In after years, Paul found no difficulty in speaking Hebrew, possibly Aramaic as meant, to a Jewish mob that sought his life. So well would the future apostle learn the scriptures that they would be practically memorized by him and become an important part of his mental equipment. That was by Sidney Sperry. Verse 38. Art not that Art, art not thou that Egyptian which before these days madest an uproar and ledest out into the wilderness four thousand men that there that were murderers? Josephus, the Roman Jewish historian, tells us of an Egyptian Jew who raised a large following in the wilderness and brought them to the Mount of Olives. He promised his followers that the walls of Jerusalem would crumble when they approached, and they could drive out the Romans with ease. Felix, the Roman governor, met them with his army and totally defeated them. However, the leader was not captured, and the chief captain mistakenly thought Paul was this man. Verse 39, But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. And when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people. And when they were made a great silence, when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying, So uh, you'll have to come back next time to see what he says. See you next time. Bye.